0: Dissecting the DC chaos, one spin at a time. Welcome to Climate and Chaos with Jay Bishayo. Here's Jay. Hello everyone and welcome to Climate and Chaos. This is your host Jay and I am so glad you decided to stop by this week to listen to me babble. It has been an interesting week in DC to say the least. AOC couldn't go her two minutes without showing what a non-genius she is. AOC had to say this week that Trump supporters aren't smart enough to know that they're racist. This coming from a woman who can't operate a garbage disposal? I'm not overly offended. Moving right along, we have an interesting character that was born of the Trump administration and now has again followed suit with so many others. They have turned their back on President Trump. How about Anthony Scaramucci, guys? He has become Michael Avenatti 2.0. I am telling you, I think he is actually trying to audition for that job at CNN. He has been on show after show just bashing on the president. He has been all over Twitter doing the same thing. I mean, the guy is definitely an expert on Trump, right? He did spend 11 days in his administration, so I would say he pretty much knows everything that there is to know. I digress. The Trump rally on Thursday was quite a unique event. President Trump managed to shatter a record previously held by Elton John for attendance. Now, think about this for a second. This is a president, folks, not a music entertainer, not a big celebrity in that sense. He's not that person anymore. Now he's President Trump, and he is shattering records held by not just a performer, but by Elton John. Now, if that's not enough for you, think about the fact that he's in blue New England. This is not Trump country up there. This is blue New England. So that really makes it a magnificent feat for him. You know, I've been thinking for quite a while, and maybe it's just me, but I don't know. I'm thinking that we may witness a shift this political cycle between now and 2020. I mean, the left hasn't given true JFK-style Democrats much to go on, have they? infanticide and open borders and and gun control and all these things, none of this is the old Democrat Party. This is the new AOC, Ilhan Omar, and Rashida Tlaib front of the Democrat Party. Whether they like it or not, they pretty much have become the face. So you got to really think that when you vote in 2020, if you don't vote for President Trump, you're voting for socialism and abandonment of American principles. That's something to think about. We could see one heavy shift. So getting into other news, I want to talk about CNN. They made a spectacle of themselves this week. They had the trifecta going on, and I don't know if they were prepared to deal with all this heat or not, but they sure got a lot of it. I woke up either Tuesday or Wednesday, and I look at Twitter, right? And Fredo Como is trending. Fredo Como. If you guys don't know what that is about, Chris Como got into quite an altercation at an event in New York when somebody referred to him, total stranger, referred to him as Fredo. Now, if you don't know, Fredo is the weak, not smart brother from The Godfather, and Como himself has brought light to this comment several times. It's been used on his show by people like Anna Navarro. She's referred to Don Jr. that way. I mean, it's a derogative term. You're basically telling somebody they're not smart. Well, Como decided that it was a racist thing to say because it was an insult to Italians. Guys, I'm 100% Italian, and I've never heard somebody call me a Fredo if they wanted to be offensive. Several people spoke up and said that his claim it was racist was rather ridiculous. And more than that was the tirade and the threats he made that actually got caught on tape. He was yelling at this guy for about a minute and 20 seconds, threatening to throw him down a flight of stairs, effing this, effing that. It was just quite a spectacle. And not to forget now, his nine-year-old daughter was standing there with his wife. Quite an interesting uh, little demo. If I may just add, there are two ways he could have handled this. One is the way he did, okay? And we know what's going to come of this now, right? Anytime he goes anywhere, it's going to be, Fredo! And someone's going to call him out every single time now, because he had to make a big deal out of it and let everybody know that it bothers him. So the other way, he probably could have just blown this guy off. I mean, he couldn't even he could have even said something under his breath to him if he wanted to, but to throw a blow-up like this out into the public square when you're a public figure, yeah, good luck living that down. Good job, Fredo. I mean, Chris. Moving right along. Don Lemon was accused of sexual assault this week by another man. Uh he is a Hampton bartender. And he alleged that uh, Don Lemon grabbed his genitals and made lewd comments in 2018. I know what they are. I will not repeat them on the, on the air here. So you're welcome to look them up, though, if you'd like, and see what they what he said. In addition, actually, uh, Chris Como's whole tirade was caught on tape, and you can catch that online, too, if you'd like. The interesting part here, what makes the plot thicken for Don Lemon is that this accuser has a witness. Uh, his witness is his old boss. And this guy claims he pretty much saw everything, tells pretty much the same exact story that the gentleman that accuses him says. So we all wish Don luck in uh, proving his innocence or his guilt, right? So to complete the trifecta of awkwardness this week, CNN's April Ryan, who is their political analyst and White House correspondent, uh, she stood by as her bodyguard was caught on tape Basically, dragging another journalist out from the Hydrich Hotel in New Jersey. Uh, Ryan was scheduled to be the keynote speaker at the fourth annual New Jersey Parent Summit. I guess there was a dispute. This gentleman showed up. His name was Charlie Cradiville, and apparently he went through all the proper protocol for press as far as what he had to do to cover the event. And apparently, April didn't want it covered. So one of her bodyguards went out there and questioned him at first, and then left, talked to her, April, and then came back and took his camera. Glee, and that led to a confrontation in a lobby. And I don't know if you've seen this video or not, but once again, this is out there, so you can uh, you can see that too. Yeah, CNN does not know how to be bad in private, I guess. I guess they want to make sure that all of their dirt gets out there for everybody to see, and they managed to do a phenomenal job of that. So, it wouldn't be a normal week if we didn't have a shooting, right? We had to have a shooting this week. Uh, we had a shooting in Philly, actually, Philadelphia. Uh, shooting took place in Philadelphia's nice town, Tioga section of town. Uh, six. Police officers, yeah, you heard me right, six were wounded by gunfire, and another was injured in a car accident on the way to the scene. It started out as a hostage situation after uh, Philly PD went to serve a narcotics warrant, and it escalated into an exchange of gunfire. There's some caveats to the story that need to be known, Okay. The most despicable event that took place was how these 2020 Democrats had basically ran to the microphones again as the events were unfolding. Like, we didn't even know what was going on yet, but they were at the microphones just blabbing away. A good example is Kamala Harris. She just happened to be on a talk show when this happened. And they asked her about it as it's in progress. She she was on TV, so she couldn't have known anything that had already happened. But her fallback was that, well, you know, under my administration, I'm going to give Congress 100 days. And if they don't act, then I'm going to executive order it. And that'll be the end of it. And this won't happen under my administration. Yeah, right. Nice way to politicize a tragedy. Now, I talked about this last week. The Democrats just love a tragedy because they're they're just so inept about dealing with them, but they're so quick to publish their views on them. Now, Mayor Jim Kinney, of course, he rushed to call for gun control. This is the same guy who was caught dancing after his city became a sanctuary city. This guy couldn't give a rat's rear end about the people of his district, just illegal aliens and things like that. Now, why don't we do something that you would think the media would do, but of course they fall short. Let's take a look at the shooter. Okay, the shooter was 36-year-old Maurice Hill. He's got an extensive criminal history, including past convictions of gun crimes. His first arrest at 18 years old was in 2001. He had a gun he was caught with with an altered serial number. That's a big deal, folks. I don't know if you're aware of that, but... It is a really big deal. If you've got an, uh, a, a firearm of any type that has an altered serial number, that's a federal offense, I believe. I know for a fact it's a felony. You might find yourself in trouble with the ATF. Now, it wouldn't. it's not just one offense with this guy, but he had six convictions since that release that are related to guns in one way or another, guns and drugs. So my question is, why in the hell was this guy not in jail? He had already served time. I believe he served uh, about six, close to six years is what I have in my research. But why is this guy out? He obviously can't keep his hands off weapons. He's a born criminal. And now it appears as though there is a group of people that are getting together in support of this shooter. Can you believe that? In support of this shooter. Somehow we have graduated to an age to not condone cops' actions, but to condone criminals is the accepted norm. Now, let me go on record for saying about 98% of the people that were in this area when this happened were good people. You just had that 2% that were anti-police officer and just like that. Now, who's the party of anti-police? Because it sure isn't the Republicans. President Trump is constantly giving credit to law enforcement officials, for responders, everybody that's, that's in that field. for President Trump has had their back. But the party that's become anti-law enforcement is, in fact, the Democrats. Once again, great work on their part. But something really needs to be looked into here, because I don't understand why this guy was out in the public able to hurt women, children, kids, whoever, but he was out there and he was able to do it. And what should have served as a simple drug warrant turned into a hostage situation involving police and six getting shot, one getting into a car accident. Now, I am happy to report that last I checked, all six police officers had been released from the hospital and were recovering well. Okay, so let's talk about Hong Kong for a minute. I'm sure you know by now that for about the last 11 weeks, they have had pro-democracy protests in Hong Kong, They started in the streets of Hong Kong, and they have actually graduated to the international airport, which actually prompted the shutdown of the airport this week. This all started over the Hong Kong government proposed a law that would allow people charged with crimes to be extradited to China. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, isn't Hong Kong in China? And the answer is, kinda. Hong Kong and China have been separate entities, ever since Hong Kong was taken by the British under a treaty after China lost a war. After that, it was then returned once the treaty expired. So yes, Hong Kong, China, but they are different governments and they are different currencies. So apparently people were not happy with the fact that there would be this extradition allowed. Uh, Hong Kong has extradition agreements with 20 different countries, but not China and not Taiwan. That's how this all started. Now these people are just amazing if you haven't seen them. They are freedom fighters. They're in Hong Kong and they're singing our national anthem in protest and they're holding up our flag. So what started out as a protest over something of a legal nature, a profound political nature, has now graduated into a quest for freedom. The Chinese ambassador to the UK said that the Western media has failed to play a credible role in all this and that they're covering the protest. The protesters are actually showing signs of terrorism. Okay. Now, whether or not that's true, I don't know, but not from what I'm seeing. Okay, From what I'm seeing on television is I'm seeing a lot of people that are peacefully protesting and are flying our flag and singing our national anthem because basically they want what we got, doesn't everybody? Well. You can add Hong Kong to the list. They do, too. Now, it's important to keep in mind that this is not going unchallenged. Okay? For a while, the central government wasn't doing a whole lot. But now, this uh, same ambassador has claimed that the government is not going to sit on its hands and watch. The Hong Kong mini-constitution states that they can ask Chinese garrison in the city to help maintain order. So, I saw that there were some trucks stacked up, a big military convoy at one point. I don't think there's been any engagement at the time of this recording, but that's not something that couldn't change. Now, they asked John Bolton what he thought about this, and John Bolton made a very good point. He said that the Chinese government has to look at the situation carefully because people in America remember Tiananmen Square. I remember Tiananmen Square. I was young, but I remember it. The pictures of the man standing in front of the tank, in front of the line of tanks, and the repressional decisions that the government made in 1989. John Bolton is saying that China needs to be very careful not to repeat that, and not to have that happen again. Around 60% of mainline Chinese investment goes through Hong Kong. It has a judicial system that's very trustworthy, and it's based on the English model. So, it's a lot of what we know here in this country. And if Hong Kong were to lose that reputation because of a bad decision by the Chinese government, they'll have significant economic consequences in China this time. So things are a little bit different this time. This is not the Tiananmen Square situation, but this is definitely, it, things could definitely follow that pattern if the Chinese government isn't careful on how they go about handling the situation. Now, last that I had heard the Chinese paramilitary was holding drills. Now, that could be as a show of force, uh, not necessarily that they're going to engage in, in the protests in any way, but it is possible. So we'll have to hang back and wait and see how China proceed, pursues this issue. President Trump has put in his comments as far as how he feels the Chinese should proceed. He urged the Chinese president, uh, Xi Jinping, to meet personally with the protesters to defuse tensions. He said, if President Xi would meet directly with the protesters, there would be a happy and enlightened ending to the Hong Kong problem, I have no doubt. So, now this was one day after a tied trade deal with China to human protest resolutions was made. Keep that in mind, the U.S. does have an interest in this, and President Trump is keeping account of what goes on in China. More to follow on this, of course, we'll, uh, we'll see what happens. Okay, now there are two major issues that I feel happen this week that we've got to talk about. First off, I want to talk about Israel in relation to Ilan Omar and Rashida Talib. You know, those two just infuriate me sometimes with their rhetoric and the the fact that they are so see-through and they think that we don't know it. Of course, by now you know that Omar and Talib had planned on going to Israel, even though their travel itinerary said they were going to Palestine, but they were planning on going to Israel. And I don't care what anyone says. Their entire reason to go was to promote their BDS position of the, of the BDS movement, and it was to cause trouble and to stir up controversy. They didn't go with the Democrat convoy that went a week ago they wanted to make their own special trip to go. There's many reasons why they wanted to do it, and none of them were good. Wonderfully enough, it was made a decision this week early on that Omar and Talib would not be accepted into Israel. Now, there were a couple of reasons given for this. First off, these two ladies are supportive of the BDS movement. If you're not familiar with what the BDS movement is, BDS stands for Boycott, Divest, and sanction. Now, defined by the BDS.com website, they define it as a Palestinian led movement for freedom, justice, and equality. BDS upholds the simple principles that Palestinians are entitled to the same rights as the rest of humanity. Okay, now let me tell you what it really is BDS is nothing more than a way to economically break down Israel and force them to give in to Palestine's demand of land that they're not entitled to. In the Bible, I'm not going to quote the Bible, but in the Bible, the land that Israel occupies was given to them by God. And that is what they believe. And if you're Christian and you read the Bible, then you believe that as well. The Palestinian war over this has gone back forever and ever. Okay? So I'm not going to tell you about the entire conflict from the end of from the beginning of time to the end of time, but what I will tell you is this. This was brought before Congress not that long ago, a few months back. And anti-BDS legislation was passed overwhelmingly in the House of Representatives. It passed 398 to 17. Now, Omar and Ali and Tlaib, of course, were among the 17 that voted against it. Uh, Actually, they were all Democrats, including AOC, that voted against it, and one Republican, Representative Thomas Massey. Two weeks prior to that, Tlaib had spoke out against H.R. 246, which is the bill that it was. And she accused Israel of racism against Palestine and Ethiopia. Now, here are the things to consider. There is not a problem with the fact that Israel decided to not allow two U.S. elected Congress members into their country. The problem is, is that we have allowed anti-Semitism to get into our Congress. That is where the problem lies. Israel's decision was made upon a law. Now, they passed a law in 2017. It bans anyone that supports publicly movements to boycott the Jewish state. So that, in and of itself, says that they don't even get the opportunity to be heard. They support BDS. They don't belong in Israel. Now, the Democrat response is that this isn't right. They shouldn't be able to go there. No, I don't agree with that at all. They have absolutely no right to be there. All they want to do is sow havoc, and they want to pull an AOC, They want to go down there like she did at the southern border and come back and say that Palestinians are drinking out of toilets. I wouldn't give them the chance to do that either. That's a ridiculous thing to think about. Now, it has circulated that their itinerary for this trip, it involved meeting with no Israeli leaders. It involved no contact with anybody other than the people that they wanted to talk to it wasn't like this was going to be an education or a learning experience for them on the ways of Israel. It had absolutely nothing to do with that. This was just a chance for them to spout off their anti-Israel point of view. So, after all this went on, Talib starts pointing out that she has a grandmother over there, and she wants to see her grandmother, and she asks if she can go on humanitarian grounds. So, Israel actually does the right thing here. They grant her access on a humanitarian basis to visit her grandmother. And they tell her, you can come, but you can't support your BDS movement while you're here. And this only applies to Talib, not Omar. Her response is that due to the racism and the oppression, she's not going to go see her grandmother. So I guess when it comes down to it, her grandmother was not as important as her anti-Semitic views. That's what this all comes down to. This was a major political stunt aimed to make Israel look completely foolish and to make those two look like they're the savior of the Palestinians. This was ridiculous. I don't even believe it was tolerated as an issue. President Trump did weigh in on this, and he put in that his opinion was that the Israeli people should not allow these two to come in. The decision was not President Trump's. He offered his input, but what got them banned was their behavior, not anything else. Now, this wave of anti-Semitism that's starting with the squad has now trickled into the 2020 Democrats. Now, of course, we all know that Ilan Omar has made anti-Semitic comments, but we also know that their influence now has affected the way the 2020 Democrats look at Israel. They all decided, pretty much all of them, wasn't uh, every single one that I know of, but at least nine or ten of the 2020 Democrat candidates have boycotted APAC. Now, APAC is the American Israeli Public Affairs Committee, and always it's a big deal every year. This is always something that is supported bipartisanly. This year, they didn't have attendance from Kamala Harris, Bernie Sanders, Kristen Gillibrand, Elizabeth Warren... Robert Francis O'Rourke, Peter Buttigieg, Jay Inslee, Julian Castro, or Amy Klobuchar. All these people chose not to show up. So this is another thing to consider in the look ahead to 2020. Do we want to be anti our biggest ally in the Middle East, which is what Israel is? We've had a 50-year relationship with Israel, and if it's left up to the Democrats, that relationship will be no more quote me on that. That's the way it will end up. Put this in perspective for you, too, getting back to Omar and Tlaib. You know, in the Quran, it says, do not take in infidels as friends. So what were they going to Israel for? The Israelis are considered infidels. So what's the point? I just wanted to mention that, too, because I just found that kind of kind of interesting when I was doing my research. So something else to consider right there. Okay, so moving right along, I got to get to the episode of all episodes this week, and I think you know what I'm talking about. Jeffrey Epstein, on August 10th, committed suicide. Now, that's what we're being told, and as of when I recorded this, the medical examiner for the city of New York City has come out and concluded this to be a suicide. Now, I can hear you saying, yeah, right. Let me go over the timeline of events that occurred since Jeffrey Epstein on July 23rd, and we'll go from there. Now, his first suicide attempt was on July 23rd. He was found in his cell, nearly unconscious, with neck injuries. Now, officials believed it to be a suicide attempt, but couldn't rule out an attack. So, he was placed on suicide watch, and he was given daily psychiatric evaluations. Okay, so that was his first attempt, supposedly. Now, after a week, he was taken off suicide watch. So why was he taken off suicide watch in the first place? The reason why was not immediately given. No one gave a reason. But it would have had to have been approved by both Metropolitan Community Correction Center's warden and their chief psychologist. So they would have had to approved it. So obviously they know why, but they're not saying. Now, a lawyer for Epstein's cellmate thinks that Epstein may have talked his way out of Suicide Watch. Apparently, he's rather charming and manipulative. Yeah, no kidding, right? I mean, he's wooing all these underage girls into bed. Yeah, I would think he probably could talk his way off, off Suicide Watch. So, that part I actually believe. Now, let's jump to August 9th here, okay? Now, this is the day before Jeffrey Epstein is found dead. Okay, now, it was this day when Thousands of documents are unsealed about a defamation case that is against Ghislaine Maxwell. Now, she's the woman accused of recruiting for Epstein, and this case was brought on by a Virginia Roberts Guffrey. Now, we'll get back to her in a minute, because there's some interesting news that came out of this doc dump. But this doc dump had actually revealed a lot of high-profile names that had either partied with Epstein, flew on his plane or there were allegations of impropriety. Some of these names were the retired Democrat Senator from Maine, George Mitchell, former New Mexico Governor, Bill Richardson, and the Duke of York, Prince Andrew. Okay, now he was involved in this supposedly. Now, I just want to say that all these people at this point have maintained their innocence and stated that they were not involved in any impropriety with underage women. So now... Be that as it may, let's see what we have here. Okay, huge doc dump comes out, names are named, Jeffrey Epstein is dead the next day. Yeah, we're supposed to believe that that was suicide, right? Okay. Now, he had shared a cell with an ex-cop awaiting trial for murder and drugs. But when he was returned, he wasn't returned to that same cell when he was taken off suicide watch. So, why not? There was no reason given. But he was put in a different cell and the identity of his new cellmate wasn't given. But at some point before he died, that cellmate had been removed. And they said it was, I had heard that it was very unusual for him to be in a cell by himself. But that's exactly how he was. He was in a cell by himself. No new cellmate. And he left the cell alone for the remainder of that Friday night prior to his death. So, like I said, people have stated to media members that that is an unusual thing. Why would they do that? Why would he be given a cell all by himself? On August 10th, the guards didn't check on Epstein for several hours. Now, protocol is they're supposed to check on him every 30 minutes. There's two correction officers working. Both are in the middle of working overtime. One is actually in the middle of an 80-hour week, okay, because MCC is apparently extremely understaffed and Jeffrey Epstein is found unconscious in his cell and later pronounced dead. Now, multiple sources began reporting that it was suicide by hanging. All hell breaks loose in the public domain. What starts trending? Clinton body count. Hashtag Clinton body count. Hashtag Trump body count. People like Joe and Mika from Morning Joe are saying that the Russians killed him. I mean, it just, everything goes absolutely crazy. Now, Of course, people wanna link this to Clinton. Now, what would give anybody that idea? It turns out when the feds raided his island in the Virgin Islands, it turned out they found, now you've either seen this or you haven't, and if you've seen it, you're probably still laughing, but Jeffrey Epstein had a portrait of Bill Clinton in Monica Lewinsky's blue dress and red heels. Now tell me that doesn't make you scratch your head, right? The Clintons are strange. I, I will go with that. They are extremely strange. But of course, people speculate that the Clintons are responsible this for this because it seems like everybody that may know anything about the Clintons seems to end up dead. Where do we go from here on this, folks? What are we supposed to think? Do we really think that Jeffrey Epstein was about to sing on all these high-powered people and... Uh, now nah, he changed his mind. He killed himself instead. Yeah, right. I am not a believer of this by any means, okay? Now, it is true that if he had pled guilty, he was looking at a 45-year sentence, which at his age is pretty much a death sentence anyway, okay? I get that. But people around him were saying he was in good spirits. I mean, I think this was a guy that was on the verge of being given a new life. I mean, sure, he might have done some time, But I think he was going to start naming names and indictments were going to start flying down and he was going to be able to start his life over in witness protection or whatever it was that they had in line for him. Now, the Bureau of Prisons, of course, is under fire. Bill Barr has come out and said that he's shocked and angry and he's ordered the FBI and DOJ to do investigations. Now, this is the same FBI that invented the Russian collusion story for so long, right? We're supposed to trust these people to get to the bottom of what happened. And like I said, at the time of this recording, it has been officially ruled by the medical examiner of New York City that this is, in fact, a suicide. I can count probably on one hand and have fingers left over if I counted the amount of people that actually believe this was a suicide. So this is the deep state at work. That's that's my opinion. I'm allowed to give that because this is America, and that's what I think. I think a lot of you believe the same thing I do. I'm not going to start saying it's related to any particular person or family or anything like that. I just say things look extremely, extremely suspicious. The biggest problem I have with Jeffrey Epstein's suicide is that his accusers will no longer get their day in court, Okay. Now, this Virginia person that I, I mentioned that we would get back to, remember her? Um, she, they actually, what was released was her testimony and a deposition, a video deposition from 2016. There was a lot of information that came out about that, including information on President Trump and on Bill Clinton. First, let me just mention the document dump not only did it include this video testimony uh, from 2015, I'm sorry, 2015, not 2016, uh, where she said she was kept as a sex slave in the early 2000s when she was underage, but uh, there was also an Amazon receipt. This Amazon receipt receipt was in Jeffrey Epstein's name, and it was a receipt for purchase of books. The books included s 101, A Realistic Introduction, Slavecraft, Roadmaps for Exotic Servitude, Training with Miss Abernathy, a workbook for erotic slaves and their owners. Uh huh. Right. Okay, now we're getting somewhere, right? In addition to that were uh, Ms. Guffrey's medical records from 2001 where Jeffrey Epstein had taken her to the hospital for fainting vaginal bleeding, and a list of other things. There were also documents from other women as well. Now, let's go to the most important thing in this document: the testimony that Virginia had given for her lawsuit against Jeffrey Epstein and Giselle Gisane Maxwell that started in 2015. Like I said, she had said that she was kept as a sex slave in the early 2000s, she claimed she was instructed by uh, Maxwell to have sex with Governor Richardson and with Senator Mitchell. In statements, both have denied. One says that he knew her, but none of it happened, and the other states that he didn't even know her, that this is all made up. A 2011 Daily Mail story stated that Guffrey had stated that Epstein and Trump were good friends, but she disputed that in her video. She said the only reason that she thought that they were friends is on the account of Jeffrey Epstein. He was the one that said that. They had also speculated that he partook in uh, flirting with her, that he was there on the plane, there at the island. Now, when she testified on this video, she contradicted all that. She stated that she had never seen President Trump at the island, never seen him on a plane. The only time that we know that he was on that plane was he hitched a ride, I think, from somewhere on the East Coast back up to New York. That right there is a pretty good indication that President Trump had zero involvement in this. Conspiracy theorists go back to work, but you struck out on this one. Uh, She did not, however, refute other details of the male story, including that Epstein had held a dinner on his Caribbean island for President Bill Clinton shortly after the Clintons left office, and that is also backed up by another document in the release. The document states, I'd have been about 17 at the time. This is uh, Guffrey saying this. I flew to the Caribbean with Jeffrey and then Ghislaine Maxwell to pick up Bill in a huge black helicopter that Jeffrey had brought her. I remember she was very excited because she got her license around the first year we met. I used to get frightening, frightened flying with her, but Bill had the Secret Service with him, and I remember him talking about what a good job she did. I don't remember seeing Bill again on the trip, but I assume Jazane flew him back. Uh, when asked for comment, a spokesman for Clinton said he had never been to Little St. James, which is the island that Jeffrey Epstein owns. Uh, In July, in the wake of the indictment against Epstein, the uh, spokesman, who is Angel Urena, uh, acknowledged that Clinton had taken a handful of trips on Epstein's plane, but said that, and I quote, President Clinton knows nothing about the terrible crimes that Jeffrey Epstein pled guilty to in Florida some years ago. So, we'll see how this turns out, but I there is definitely going to be a lot coming from this. So, stay tuned on this as well. All right, we covered a lot of information this week. It has been an informative week, has it not? These podcasts are possible because people like you actually take the time to listen to me. I can't thank you enough. Again... Like I said earlier, and I say it every week, and I'm going to keep saying it until my follower count is through the roof. Please follow me on Twitter and Parler if you haven't already. I am at Proud, O I F You guys have a wonderful week, and I will be back with another podcast on Monday where we will talk about all the wonderful things that happened in D.C. this week. Till we meet again, take care of each other.